Mark the 14th chapter. And as you do, this morning we'll be taking a look at the life, not of a mother, but of a deeply committed follower of Jesus. Mark the 14th chapter, beginning with the third verse. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was that the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. Whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. I'd like to place a tag on this text, a legacy of extraordinary worship. A legacy of extraordinary worship. You may be seated. Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we just come this morning to say thank you for being a promise keeper. For you promised that you would never leave us nor forsake us. And you promised that where sin abounds, that much more grace abounds as well. And you promised that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. So, Father, we come this morning standing upon your promises, asking that you would draw us near to you, that we would hear from you, be encouraged by you, be transformed by you, Father, we come now boldly before your throne of grace in the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name. For there is no name given under heaven amongst men by which we must be saved. So, Father, we come in the name of Jesus, empowered by your Holy Spirit. And, Father, may you send forth your Spirit right now, O Lord, to convict us to comfort us, to help us consider the wonderful truths of your word. And Father, even on this day that has been set aside to honor mothers, Father, we're grateful for the gift of our mothers, for the legacy, for the impact. But Father, our 
Mothers are a gift because your word declares that every good and perfect gift is from above. Flowing down from the Father of lights. Lord, it is by your grace that we have mothers, Lord. And even in the midst of someone's pain as they struggle through today, Lord, may your grace be sufficient for them. And in their weakness, may the power of Jesus rest upon them right now. To comfort, to encourage. To draw their hearts near to you. Now, Father, as your word goes forth, may you give us insight, understanding, and clarity that these will not just be words on a piece of paper, but that the living truth of who you are will resound within our lives, causing us to love Jesus and to depend upon him daily. So, Father, again, thank you for the privilege of the words of my mouth. Meditation of my heart, acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Jesus, precious and holy name, we do pray. Amen. 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 Indeed, if, if you've been watching the news lately, it's recently been reported that Harriet Tubman, the abolitionist, one who, working to abolish slavery, the suffragists, one who fighting for women's rights to vote, would be memorialized in the center of the $20 bill replacing Andrew Jackson. So for those unfamiliar with Harriet Tubman, she was an escaped slave who was responsible for leading many other slaves through the Underground Railroad north to freedom. And her legacy continues to encourage us to fight oppression and inequality everywhere that it is found. Her legacy. You know, when I consider that word legacy, as you ponder that word legacy, reflect it and think about how that word impacts your life. Legacy, the, the actions of one person in the past being able to impact my life right now. Legacy. See, when I think about legacy, I think about my mother. And I think about all of the sacrifice and all of her hard work and all of those life, those practical life lessons that she gave me that are even having an impact on my family now. When you reflect on the word legacy, who comes to mind? But whomever it, it may be, the, the fact remains, just as the legacy of others have had an impact on your life, the legacy of your life will have an impact on someone else. When it comes to your legacy, what will be said about you? Will it be said that you were courageous, that you were trustworthy, that you were faithful? Will it be said that you loved Jesus and depended upon him daily? But you know, if we're, if we're honest, our level of commitment 
to the worship of Jesus may not be something we want to leave as part of, of our legacy. When we consider our own worship and, and how at times we can find our worship to be just so-so, just okay, we can often find ourselves just going through the motions of worship, struggling just to hold on. But if that's you, there's hope and there's help in the scriptures this morning. In the text before us this morning, I I direct your attention to the life and legacy of another famed woman. A woman whose legacy as a worshiper of Jesus lives on even today. See, providing for us an example and hope. This, This woman leaves with us a legacy of unhindered worship. Able to cut through all forms of apathy and discontent. Her affection for Jesus was so strong that no one and no thing could prevent her from lavishing her love upon the Son of God. If there is anything that we could learn from the legacy of this woman today, it's what it looks like to have unhindered worship. From what we see here, uh, unhindered worship of Jesus is possible. A worship that could not be swayed, it would not be weakened, nor prevented, or discouraged. This woman is an example of what genuine freedom in Christ looks like because of the gospel. This woman shows us that when Jesus is the primary focus of your affection, a legacy of unhindered worship is the result. What a life. What a legacy. What a privilege we have before us this morning to lean in and to learn how to experience unhindered worship. Though real life obstacles could have silenced her praise, this morning we will see what it looks like to leave a legacy of extraordinary worship. Now the context here is this this narrative before us actually shows up in the Gospel of Matthew, the 26th chapter, and also the Gospel of John, the 12th chapter. And and looking at those, those, those pieces of the narrative, we're able to piece together a whole picture of just what is going on at this banquet, who's there, and, and what, what is taking place and how it impacts our lives. From this narrative, in each case, though, Jesus is the central figure. And everyone else is just supporting roles. See, often when we look at scripture and we look at this this model person, this type, we we like to fill ourselves in like, oh yeah, I would have did that too. When actually, we're never the hero of the story. Jesus is always the hero of the story. He's the hero here. See, I bring that up because all worship is not equal. Your worship is only as worthy as the object of it. If, 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 if I'm worshiping something that is low, that, that is limited, then I can expect my worship to be full and to be free. But if the object of my worship is, is glorious, is great, and good, then my worship will reflect the very object that I'm responding in worship to. 
All worship is not created equal. Equal. But from these accounts, we see that this unnamed woman is actually Mary. The sister of Martha and Lazarus, those that Jesus loved so dearly. And we know when we read scripture already that Mary was a worshiper. Mary was a worshiper. When we first encounter Mary, she is sitting at the feet of Jesus. As Martha is busy trying to make preparations, she's frustrated, she's flustered because she's not receiving help. But the reason why she is not helping her sister is because Jesus says she had chosen a better thing. And that is to sit at the feet of Jesus. She was a learner. She was a disciple of Jesus. She was a worshiper. When we see Jesus' second encounter, she's at the death of her brother. And as Jesus is on his way, we see busy Martha just running out to Jesus and saying, if you hadn't been here, then he would not have died. But what do we see? Mary, she, she's waiting. She doesn't get ahead of herself. She doesn't take it upon herself to tell Jesus what he should have did. But, but she waits and she receives word that the, the rabbi is looking for you. So, see, a worshiper knows their place. A worshiper is not always trying to get ahead of Jesus. A worshiper responds to Jesus. That's what worship is. A response, a, I have set my attention and my focus upon God and my praise and my exaltation is a response about just what I've seen about him to be true. That's all worship is. So Mary responds to Jesus and runs, and again, the text says she falls at his feet in humility, knowing who he already is. So, so when we encounter Mary in this text, there's no secret. It's, it's nothing that we have to figure out. Mary is a worshiper sitting at the feet of Jesus. So what we have playing out in this text, this woman turning her attention away from everyone else, everything, and responding to the very majestic presence of Jesus before her. Pushing through to Jesus. From this woman's legacy, we, we see first a worship unhindered by the culture. Verse 3 begins, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? What is going on in the text? Well, we see that this is a, a meal that Jesus is at. And he says that he was over Simon the leper's house. Probably because Jesus had healed Simon of his leprosy. And as they were there, the, the woman comes in and begins to anoint Jesus from head to his feet. In John, we see that she is anointing his feet. And as we look at the picture, they're, they're gathered around. This fragrant aroma begins to permeate and fill the room. It's like her worship takes life. Begins to fill the room, fill the atmosphere. 
But instead of giving God praise, the people began to complain and say, that was a dumb thing. Why would you do something like that? See, the hindrance to her worship was cultural expectations, and, but yet Mary was willing to push through all of these expectations in order to worship Jesus. We see a number of ancient Near Eastern cultural uh, cues in this text, the, the first being Simon the leper. In this culture, a, a leper would have been cast out of society. They wouldn't have been at his house. He would have been on the outside of Israel, but because Jesus has healed him, they're able to dine at his house. There's cultural expectations in the meal. For one would sit at a common meal, but yet you will recline at a banquet or a special feast. There's cultural things going on here. There's cultural expectations for the women there. Because at a banquet like this, women would not be with the men unless they, would, they were serving the food. That was the cultural expectation. And then sitting back, the men had their cultural expectation of, of casting judgment about what everybody else is doing. These are the, the armchair quarterbacks. Say, oh, I would have, and you should have, and they should have. And, and they're sitting back critiquing what's going on when they should have been worshiping. See, but in spite of all these potential cultural barriers, this woman, Mary, presses through to lavish her affections on Jesus anyway. Ha, Mary, she, she does enter the room as a servant, but she doesn't have food with her. She has, a, she has her, 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 her tray of worship ready to serve Jesus with her praise. Beloved, understand this. Unhindered worship supersedes all cultural expectations, traditions, and norms. Unhindered worship supersedes what you think you know. That's what it says. Unhindered worship looks beyond what I see and it goes to where he is. See, don't deny that there are expectations and norms where wherever you, you, you dwell, wherever you go, but just put them in their proper place. Did you know we have a certain culture inside the church? We, we, we have a certain culture. Every local body of Christ that assembles has a certain culture. There's a certain thing they're known for. It's a certain feel. And you know it's a certain culture because when someone doesn't measure up or quite fit into the culture, then they're kind of ostracized. If, it, if it's a, a more quiet, laid-back type church where there, there's not much response, if someone was to jump up and shout, Amen, preach, preacher, then everybody would kind of look around, what's going on? But if, if, if it's the type of church that's a little more demonstrative in their praise uh, and people are jumping and shouting for the person who may be sitting down, they're looking at, what's wrong with you? They just played my song. You missed your, you missed your blessing. 
So there's a certain culture, a certain feel within the church. And there's certain dimensions. Like my students, there's this, this pressure that you feel not to look like everyone else. So when it comes to singing worship at the beginning, instead of raising your hands and praise, you're worried about what everyone else is thinking about you, so you just don't do anything. You just kind of stand there. So whether you're demonstrative or not, this is all taking place in the church. Some of the worship wars we experience, culture, they're not singing my songs. I like hymns. I like contemporary. I like bluegrass. Well, maybe not bluegrass, but. <laughs> but I like this, and they ain't playing it, so I don't like it. From song selections and song types, it, it, it may not be your preferred style, but understand, unhindered worship supersedes style. Unhindered worship supersedes chair colors and carpet colors. See, unhindered worship supersedes all of our preferences because unhindered worship is not about us, it's about God. And Mary enters in. She doesn't care what they say, what they think, what the expectations and what the traditions and all the barriers and roadblocks. She says, my Jesus is here and I'm going to worship. She's pushing past. She's pushing past. Not only do we see traditions inside the church, we see them outside the church, don't we? There are certain cultural stigmas when you, or, or better yet, it's often said at work, what? Don't discuss what? Religion and politics. It's like this unwritten rule. Or, or, or for the politician, your faith should, should be personal unto you. Just you and your house. Students are told by teachers, and, I'll, and I often hear this, you're not supposed to talk about Jesus in school, which is a lie. Students are exercising their First Amendment right to talk about Jesus. They can talk about Jesus in school. You talk about everybody else, we can talk about Jesus too. Matter of fact, the reason why things are so crazy in your school is because y'all don't talk about Jesus. Y'all need to be talking about him more. Just the name of Jesus to clean up some of these schools. Just speaking his name is able to bring transformation. So there's all kind of stereotypes. Christians are labeled hypocrites. I don't go there. They're a bunch of hypocrites. Bunch of bigots. Atheists calls us fools. We have all these hindrances to our worship. But beloved, when you are seeking Jesus, our view in worship is not horizontal, it's vertical. If I'm looking to the cross, if I'm looking at my master, if I'm looking at my Savior, if I'm looking at his face and I want to behold his glory, then I ain't worried about you. If his glory is what matters, 
then I'm not concerned about what the naysayers and the backstabbers and the haters may say because my worship is unhindered and it's for Jesus alone anyway. Jesus supersedes all of that stuff. I'm, a, I'm not a military man, but then I understand that there have these things called marching orders in the service. And usually it, it comes from someone who outranks you. So the officer may receive uh, instructions from a lieutenant. Uh, help me out, make sure I got this right, Todd. And if, if a major may give instructions to a lieutenant, and then the officer, the lieutenant, and the major will get their instructions from the general, right? So as these marching orders come down, based, it's based upon your rank at who has say in your life. Can we just make this plain? Because a lot of times, y'all act like Jesus ain't the general. Like he's not the high priest, that like he's not the commander of all the armies of the universe, and when he calls you to obey, you just say, nah. I'm more concerned about what they may say. How do we know this? How do we know this? We know this because Jesus commanded, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. This is not a question. This is not a suggestion. This is a command from our general. But yet... Instead of making Jesus' name known on the job, we're more concerned about what our boss may say. Don't you know that Jesus supersedes your boss? The reason why your boss is even there is because Jesus said, let it be. Will there be consequences? Yes. Will there be problems and uh, you experience persecution because of the name of Jesus? Yes. But if you're following the commander's marching orders, what do we really have to worry about? Nothing at all. So in the text, we see that there is this, this a, a, a worship that's unhindered by the culture. Mary, she's pressing in. She doesn't care what they say. I'm going to worship Jesus. But, but secondly, we see in the text uh, a worship unhindered by the cost. She takes this alabaster flask of perfume. This flask would have been made of some type of stone, some type of translucent stone, and, and, and it would have been sealed to keep the oil fresh. She breaks it over the head of Jesus. It's, you know, it's more like, more like Real perfume or real cologne. See, I get the, the toilet stuff, you know, that, the water down. I, I, I don't get the real stuff. It costs too much. But this, this is what it is. It's the concentrated, genuine, pure. It's not a knockoff. It's not a fake. And, and she, she breaks it over his head. And then the onlookers, they respond with such critique. What are you doing? This this could have been given to the poor. 
What is really going on? What is really happening? This alabaster flask would have been obtained at a, at, at a significant cost to Mary or her family. It probably was a family heirloom that was passed down from generation to generation. Why? Uh, we, we say that because this nard, it, it was a sweet-smelling perfume, but it was, it was found from a rare plant only in India. So it would have been brought to that region. And the text says that its worth was over 300 denarii, that this would have been a year's worth of wages for a common worker. So imagine you, you working for a year, you don't spend anything, and, and then you take all that money and you buy this perfume. That's, that's how precious it is. This is equivalent to over $12,000 in value, this flask of perfume. According to Mark 6, the 37th chapter, 200 denarii would have been enough to feed the 5,000. Just 200, but this, this is 300. So there is some truth when the objector says that you could have sold that and given it to the poor. You could have fed over 5,000 people with that perfume you just broke over Jesus' head. What is wrong with you? You have your ministry methods messed up. You're not supposed to spend that much money on Jesus. You're supposed to take it out to the people and help them first, but not Jesus. This being a family heirloom cost her not only financial, but emotional. There's some sentiment to it. It's been around for a while. Y'all know y'all have those old pictures and old vases, that, that china that don't, can't nobody eat on, that stuff. That's just passed down. But this came at a great emotional cost as well because the onlookers were on her head, criticizing her. But you can't love Jesus and care about what other people think about you too. And what's so sweet about the text is the fact that she didn't have to come to her own defense. Jesus did. <laughs> Won't Jesus do that? You, do you always have to argue and fight and fuss back? Do you always got to get the last word in? Why don't you let Jesus do your fighting? See, because when Jesus finished fighting, everybody just shut their mouths. See, see, Jesus will win the argument every time. Unhindered worship is not preoccupied with what is lost, but only with what is, is to be gained. Unhindered worship doesn't care what it costs me because I, I'm so excited about what I'm receiving in return. We often miss out on these blessings. We, we, we do it so much because we're so focused on what we're giving up. Think about it. Think about when we go on a fast. Okay, Monday, the fast starts. Okay, I'm fasting today, all right? And then you drive past Taco Bell. You, you haven't ate Taco Bell in like three years. And then just because you're on the fast, all of a sudden it's like, man, I want some Taco Bell. And then you're like, oh, this fast, oh, it, 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 it's so hard. And all of a sudden, you're thinking about all the stuff that you can't have. But beloved, 
It's not about what you can't have. It's what you're receiving in return. The, when, you, when you put off for a minute, when you put off the food and you put off the distractions, you're receiving more of Jesus. That's great math. I'm going to put off these little things to get something great? What has it cost you to follow Jesus? Because it costs to follow Jesus. It costs. Turn with me to Luke, the 14th chapter. Luke, the 14th chapter. Watch this, verses 25 to 33. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus says, Salvation is free, but it costs your life. We're treating Jesus like an add-on, like a Boy Scout merit badge. I I just want to add him to my life, but I really don't want to make any commitments to him. Jesus says, if you are not willing to count the cost of what it means to live for me, of what it means to serve me, to submit to me, to be my child, then you cannot be my disciple. It costs to follow Jesus. If your life has not changed at all after you have come to Christ, then it hasn't cost you anything. But you know that if you're in Christ, there are some things you had to let go. There's some places that you had to stop frequenting. You had to give up some of them homeboys, them homegirls. You had to cut off some relationships. Those in Christ know that it costs something to follow Jesus. But preacher, it costs so much. Won't nobody like me. Won't nobody care about me. Won't nobody think about me. Beloved, understand. Understand what Jesus has done. 2 Corinthians Fifth chapter, starting with verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded, concluded this, that one who has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, 
that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Understand, beloved, when you sacrifice, it is nothing in comparison to what Jesus sacrificed on Calvary's cross. You did not have to shed your blood to stop going to that store. But Jesus shed his blood in order that you may be reconciled. Look what we receive in return from Jesus. You know, there's an illustration that Jesus used in Matthew, the 13th chapter. And when he's talking about, this is the parable of the hidden treasure. And he says, the kingdom of of heaven is like like a field, which a man uh, found a great treasure there, and he covered it up. And he left and he sold everything that he had in order to come back and to buy that field. The illustration is the the kingdom of heaven has so much riches, has so much to be desired, has so much healing and hope. Why would you hold on to your earthly possessions? Why why wouldn't you go in and sell everything in order to bring that sacrifice back to purchase the one who has it all. This costs us. What greater treasure is there than Jesus? I believe when Mary was looking to worship Jesus, she had understood that she found grace. That's why she was willing to give up everything. Because grace is worth far more than anything we could ever give up. Grace is what woke you up this morning. Grace is what kept you all last week. It it was grace that kept you from flying off the road. It It was grace that allowed you to be in your right mind and in a decent health this morning. It was, it was grace that allowed you to parent them children. It was grace that allowed you to be here right now. The grace of God is far more valuable than anything we have to offer. This last portion of the text points us to how this woman overcame her barriers. How did she do it? How did she press in? I believe Mary was able to pursue Jesus with a worship unhindered because of the gospel. After she pours the perfume over his head, They scold her, but in verse 6, Jesus comes to her defense. He says, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you always have the poor with you. Whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial, and truly I say to you, whenever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in her memory. The gospel is playing out here. Look at Jesus' compassion and his love. What it reflects and shows us that nobody loves us like Jesus, the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have 
everlasting life. That's this love that Jesus is demonstrating. And Jesus is saying, I not only want to defend you, but I I, I want your life. I want to use your life to tell a story about me. He links her life to the gospel. And he says, wherever the gospel is preached, she, her name, and her memory, her legacy will be told as well. Her life is linked to the gospel. Uh, see, see the order. It's not her story is told and the gospel is shared. It's the gospel is shared and her story is told. Some of us have it flipped back where we want to tell the world our story, thinking that it would bring people to Christ, but no, we tell people about Christ and how he has affected our lives. Unhindered worship is unleashed when your life is linked to the gospel. Why do I say that? The reason I believe Mary left an extraordinary legacy of worship was because she understood the gospel and it freed her up for worship. The gospel helped her understand that she is a sinner. She is broken. She is not in fellowship with God. Though she may be be nice to people and do good things sometimes, The text of Scripture tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that that sin has has affected our mind and affected our hearts in such that we're not, it's not like we're drowning trying to uh, uh, reach out and call to Jesus, but we are dead on on the bottom of the floor of the sea. Ephesians 2 tells us, and you were dead in the trespasses of sin in which you once walked according to the flesh. Do you understand before Jesus rescued you, you weren't calling out for help. You were dead. You were flatlined. But Jesus, but Jesus jumps down, goes to the bottom, the very bottom, the deepest, dankest, darkest pit, and he picks you up, takes you to the shoreline, gives you some compressions, and then breathes life into you through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit begins to work of regeneration, and then it's like clear, boom, and you come alive because of what Jesus has done. You ain't sweet. You ain't nice. And I, it don't matter what degrees you got. Uh, it don't matter how many badges. God says that all have seen the far short of the glory of God. You were dead. Mary knew that she was dead. She didn't have a life of her own. She would never have called out for Jesus. She was dead. But she also understood that the rabbi had a mission. And that the rabbi, not only did he he pronounce life, but he is the resurrection and the life. See, she wasn't just looking for a hope to come. He is the resurrection and the life. So when she encountered Jesus for the forgiveness of her sin, and he bore that on for her on Calvary's cross. He wipes away that wrath, and now she's able to live in perfect union and harmony with God the Father. And she understood that when she worships Jesus, it's not just with her lips, but it's with her life. Mary understood the gospel. When you see, when you understand the gospel then you can sing praises to God because I'm so thankful and grateful for what he's done for me. It don't matter if I'm in key. 
It doesn't matter if you turn up and frown at me. I'm not worshiping you. I'm worshiping Jesus because he's the one that went to Calvary's cross. Her life was linked to the gospel. If you want unhindered worship, stop linking your life to Facebook. Stop linking your life to what everybody else is doing. Stop linking your life to what you want to do and link your life to the gospel. The good news of what God has done through Jesus Christ to save sinners such as yourselves and myself. The gospel. When you understand the gospel, you can do nothing but say thank you. Father, I I had nothing to bring in the first place, but, but you saved me. I have nothing to offer you and your kingdom, but, but you saved me? Did, did you see where I was last week, Jesus, but you saved me? Don't, don't you know what I'm dealing with right now, but you saved me? No, don't you know I got these addictions and I got these issues, but you saved me? Don't you know what's going on in my mind right now, but you saved me? I I have nothing else to say, but thank you, Lord. The reason why I worship is hindered now is because we don't realize how sinful we are. That's why. We must ask that the Holy Spirit will unveil our eyes so we can see just how disgusting we are in contrast to a perfect Savior who died on a bloody cross on Calvary, taking upon himself all of my dirt, all of my mess, all of my brokenness, in order that that I may be reconciled back to the Father. See, we don't understand the power of the gospel. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is is the power unto God unto salvation. Not not stuff, but the gospel has the power to save us. This good news. This is how we keep our focus on Jesus, by never taking our gaze off the gospel. That's it. We don't just try harder. We don't go to church more. We don't do more stuff. We just remember the gospel. I, I, don't, I don't try to be a better person on a job. I don't, I don't try to stop cussing. I, I don't try to do all that stuff. I just gaze upon the gospel and let the glory of God transform my life. But guess what? I got to look. You got to look. You have to take your eyes off of the temporary things of this world in order to gaze upon the gospel. The story of Mary is a story of worship and gratitude. Mary had taken herself out of the center 
of her life. Do you have gospel gratitude? Do you ever find in yourself asking, where would I be had it not been for Jesus? What, what will my life look like if Jesus had not rescued me? What would my eternal destiny be had Jesus not revealed himself to me? We need to re reflect and reprioritize taking ourselves out the center and gazing upon the gospel. What's holding you back today? What's blocking your gaze? What's, what's distracting you? What is in your peripheral keeping you from gazing on the gospel? Worship is setting your attention on Jesus and responding accordingly. Worship is recognizing I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I will trust Jesus because he's the only way to salvation. Mary leaves us an extraordinary legacy of worship. May we learn from her example, an example of a worship unhindered by the culture. She had a worship unhindered by the cost, but she also had a worship unhindered because of the gospel. What will your legacy be? When Jesus is the primary focus of your affection, a legacy of unhindered worship is the result. Don't leave thinking you could just do better, but leave knowing that I need to gaze upon the gospel. Let us pray. Father,